This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Dan from Shares and I'm joined by Laura from AJ Bell. Hi. This week, I fear the B word will crop up a lot as we look at market reaction to the latest events and we look at why good news can make share prices fall and whether investors should be nervous about property. Now this week, we're joined for the first time by Kevin Doran from the AJ Bell investment team. Hey, nice to be here. Right, let's get the Brexit chat out of the way first. Oh wait, the Brexit accent is back. Um, we can't avoid it this week. So as we record the podcast, the vote has happened. Uh, May has been defeated, but I think there's a lot more drama to come. So we've had about an hour or so of market open. What's going on, Dan? Well, I, don't, I think some people might be a bit surprised. Um, so if I just take a step back first, because so we're recording this the day after the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, so leading up in the hours leading up to the vote, sterling was falling. It had gone down about by about 1.5% in the day. But actually, as soon as the, the announcement came out, it started to rise again. So we fast forward one day, and the, the markets are now open, and um, so shares are reacting to this news. Uh, the FTSE 250 index, which is uh, predominantly UK-facing companies, um, is actually up. Sterling's holding firm. I, don't, I think people perhaps were expecting a bit of a um, sort of a shock reaction. They're certainly not getting it. So it seems to be business as usual. I think it's um, the the kind of common rhetoric seems to be that the prospect of no deal has maybe diminished slightly because there seems to be a majority in Parliament against no deal. I mean, as we say this, by the time people are listening to this, I could be completely proven <laughs> wrong by this. Um, but what I thought was interesting, I looked back, so we've had about two weeks of the year so far, um, and I looked back and uh, UK markets are actually up. So the FTSE 100 is up by about 2.5% and the 250, so that more UK focused index is up almost 5%, I which th- I think might surprise some people. I think if you, if you look at the, the, so the pound, we, we talk about the pound a lot. The pound is like the Brexit barometer. So the, the pound has actually been rising since the start of the year. And I think the markets have sort of been looking at and thinking, well, it seems a good chance that May's uh, vote would be uh, rejected as, as it was. Um, and potentially we might have a bit more time for negotiating deals for Brexit. Of course, more time for negotiation rather than this rush to get it all done is good for businesses because they've got more time to do their own planning. Um, and I guess it, 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 people just wanted a little bit more time to do anything, to think about it. So that, that's why the sort of the, perhaps the markets have been, been moving up. Yeah, it maintains the status quo for a little longer as well. Um, I think we've said since basically the checkers deal came out, we went on the record and we said we think we probably end up with a soft version of Brexit but not necessarily with Theresa May at the helm. And the closer it's gone and you know how things have played out in the past couple of weeks in particular, that looks increasingly more likely. Yeah. So if you look at uh, what is actually moving on the stock market following the, the announcement about um, May's vote being rejected, so it's house builders are going up, um, airlines like EasyJet are rising, the banks like Lloyds and RBS, retail companies M&S and Next. Now these are all classic British companies um, and if you go back to June 2016 when the referendum announcement came out, um, all these companies really sold down heavily. Um, so it, again, if there's positive news for the pound and people thinking, okay, Brexit's not, perhaps not going to be as bad as it um, we thought, um, we still don't know what's happening, you can perhaps understand why these stocks are rising on the market. Um, 
What I think is so interesting, though, is that the pound used to be a kind of barometer of the economic output of the UK, or and it used to move based more on data coming mm-hmm. out of the UK. Now it's just a political barometer. It moves in line with what's happening in politics and specifically what's happening with Brexit, rather than necessarily the kind of economic fundamentals of the country, which I feel like is quite a big shift. Well, po- yeah, politics is, is playing such a huge role at the moment, what's going on. And, and some of the other stocks, if you look at the market uh, as we talk, which are rising our um, Royal Mail, all the transport stocks and some of the utilities. And of course, these are all linked to um, ones that Labour had threatened to nationalise if it got back into power. So maybe the market today is thinking there's less of a chance that Labour is going to have uh, a possibility of coming back for a while. Um, So yeah, politics is moving everything. um, And perhaps, yeah, it's not actually whether these companies are earning lots of profit or not. It's it's amazing what what can get in the way of uh, investors thinking and perhaps guide what's going on, which is actually not a good thing because it only takes a small comment from a, a selection of politicians to change the course of markets yet again. So, you know, who knows where it's going to go up one day, down another. Yeah, it's a very sentimental-driven market at the moment. It's not based on fundamentals. As you say there, you know, the currency is being buffeted by political factors, not dissimilar to what we see in 2009, 2013 in Europe. It was all about political commentary rather than the economic fundamentals. Eventually it comes around, but for the next couple of months, definitely expect more volatility in the currencies and markets in general. And it's interesting, actually, that we saw people um, come out, so kind of some investment companies and, and brokers come out yesterday and warn clients not to trade on the pound because it's so uncertain. And the certainty was that it was going to move, but no one knew in mm. which direction and, and where it was going to go. And if you're at the level now where people are warning investors not to trade on something, then that just shows, I think, how volatile and how uncertain it is. Yeah, absolutely. So another area of the market um, that's been massively affected by the Brexit vote is property investments. So they've been inextricably linked to the Brexit vote and investors in property funds will remember that just after the vote in 2016, a number of property funds had to shut thanks to big redemptions from investors wanting to withdraw their money. So now there's concerns in addition to that about the knock-on effect of the current woes on the high street on the property market. So Kevin, should investors be nervous? Should they be avoiding property as an investment? I'm nervous whether that's the right way, I'm not sure. It's too late to be nervous. Um, if you've been in property for the past two years, you've had an awful ride. Um, as I say that you had a lot of property funds closed post-Brexit. They've reopened since, uh, but you know, even just this week, a number of property funds moved from an offer price to a bid price. Kind of, what does that mean? It just means that in valuation terms, you've just lost five, six percent of, of your value for no reason other than the fund management company has changed how they decide to price the fund. Um, I think if you're going to actually get involved in properties, though, it's really important to make the distinction between an open-ended fund, such as you know some of the thread needle, M&G, standard life kind of products that people will be familiar with, and the real estate investment trusts. And for us, there's a massive distinction between those two markets. In the open-ended world, the M&G standard life wouldn't go near property because we don't feel that. Because those funds have to price at whatever the valuers say the, the portfolio is worth, we don't think the valuers are fully caught up with what's happening on the high street, happening in, you know, in retail parks, what's happening in commercial properties, offices, etc. We think there's more pain to be had there. But then you go to the real estate investment trust world, the REIT market, and these guys have already priced this in, and they've priced in a hell of a lot more uh, bad news as well. 
you know, let's pick some of the, some of the funds that people will be familiar with, land securities, British land, etc. British land is, you know, it's a huge uh, real estate investment trust, 13 billion of assets, about 3 billion of debt against that, and about t- uh, a billion shares. So you'd expect the price of those shares to be around £10. They're currently just under £6. So the market's already priced in a lot of bad news on that sort of uh, on that sort of stock to the extent that if you're buying British land shares right now you get the retail properties which are 40% of their portfolio absolutely free so you get all of their offices which are worth about 6 billion pounds you get all of the retail properties absolutely free i don't think you'd have any more bad news priced into that stock and so the distinction between open ended and closed ended is one that investors really need to be making on property at the moment. And fundamentally, this hinges on the fact that property is not what we would term a liquid asset in the industry, which basically means that it's time-consuming and costly to shift. It's not like owning a share in a company where you can sell it on an exchange. It takes weeks, months to offload some of these properties, particularly when you're looking at kind of multi-million pound office blocks. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the distinction you're making here is between an open-ended company, which people can sell in and out of, um, which may lead the fund manager to have to sell property, versus a closed-ended investment trust, um, where they're not subject to those kind of same movements, so they have more locked-up money. It's a a stable pool of capital. The, the, The managers of REITs already have your money. And any trades that you do in that are in the secondary market. So that's why you end up with, you know, some some reads can be at a premium to 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 the to the overall value, or some can be a discount. And you know, the distinction in the marketplace if you're buying into say Big Yellow, which is one of these storage facilities, that's on a forty percent premium to the actual value as determined by the viewers. Whereas you know, we just talked about British landlords, that's on a forty percent discount. So there's huge disparities, and you need to do your research when, when you're taking a look at this. But you know the things you've just mentioned there on liquidity and the, the frictional costs, the transactional costs involved in property, that's why you've seen those funds drop by 5% this week, because they've gone from valuing the fund as if you're likely to buy these, buy these uh, properties, including the cost of all the transactions, they now assume that you're likely to sell. And so they've gone to a, a bid price, and you've just lost 5%. So for us in the portfolios we manage, we're not going anywhere near open-ended property, but we're quite interested in, in closed-ended REITs at the moment. But with, if, if something like British Land's trading at 40% below its net asset value, is that's the market thinking that its stated net asset value is wrong? Absolutely. And actually, yeah. therefore, um, we should expect to see you know, devaluation when it next reports saying you know we've had a look at our assets and we think they're they're worth less. So, is the market actually right? So you know rather than saying that is there's a bargain. To, to, to be fair, it, it's it, we'd say it's probably somewhere in between. You know, so if you look at the what the value is, what the you know the chartered surveyors they go out and value the properties, and let's look at this on a yield basis, which is how most people would look at properties. You'd go to an office block in the in the UK, and that'll be trading on a yield of say somewhere between five and six percent. You consider you know, that alone in a world where government bonds are giving you yields of one to one and a half percent suggests that maybe that that's a, a fair valuation. If you now apply the discount that the market's priced in on these REITs, thanks thanks to you know trading below uh, the value of the overall properties, if you then apply those values and plug that back into your calculation, these things are on yields of more like eight and nine percent. And so, 
in in our view, it, the, the the real answer is somewhere between five and nine, but it's probably closer to five than it is nine, because that spread differential between the yield on a property and a yield on a government bond, for example, at, at six seven percent just seems way too far for us. So self storage is you mentioned obviously it, it's that's mm. considered to be a bit more um, you know the trade if it's trading on a premium therefore investors that seem to be happy to 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 pay to get access to that industry uh, warehouses seem to be another one yes, yep. um, mm. which is sort of <coughs> attracting attention to these these are sort of say big giant sort of um, sort of like almost like aircraft hangers, aren't they? So to contain yeah. goods that people w when you're doing your online shopping um, those goods have to be mm. stored somewhere and shoved on a, on a truck to go and to be delivered to you so um, that, that's deemed to be in rise with, with e-commerce trends um, a good place to be what well, we're actually at, but the risk is that um, if everyone's piling into that market as an investor into warehouses um, you know do you risk actually you, you're investing at the wrong price uh, yeah and and, and the, the interesting thing there you know you, you talk about the, the, the big box warehouses um, a lot of the the tenants in these big box warehouses, are your Sainsbury's, your Amazon's, your John Lewis, your Boohoo's of this world. And they're also the tenants in a lot of these retail shopping malls. So the dis you know, investors are clearly saying, we don't trust these guys to stay in the malls, but we think they're fantastic tenants when it comes to a big box uh, warehouse space. And again, that just feels like too disjointed. It seems too stark a contrast. And the answer is probably somewhere in between. Okay. The warehousing stuff is particularly mm. interesting at the moment. So I was listening to an um, uh, interview with business people, particularly in the northwest, and they were saying that because of the amount of stockpiling due to Brexit mm. that businesses are doing, you actually can't find warehousing space in the northwest now. Yeah. Um, and I imagine they were just talking from their point of view, but I imagine that must be the case around the country. So I guess there's also an element of a kind of short-term Brexit yeah. mm -hmm. stockpiling kind of related blip to that warehousing sector as well. I think all, all that demonstrates is the need when you are investing to think longer term. Because if you're going to get sucked into that sort of environment because of something that will ultimately be, will know the result in the next 10, 11 weeks, um, again, that's the importance of taking a long-term view when it comes to your investments. But I think, I mean, we've talked there a bit about retail, we've talked a bit about high street, about, about uh, warehousing. Mm -hmm. How much should investors who are going into these funds drill down into what they're uh, fund managers are, are actually putting their money into because I know some property fund managers have come out and said they're not going to put any new money into London office space mm -hmm. for example because of the kind of Brexit risk it's felt that London might be hardest here whereas others are backing away from retail space so how much should investors be drilling down into that? Uh, yeah, in property you know to say you just invest in property is it's like saying you invest in hedge funds it's really important to understand the strategy that's taking place. Uh, similarly, if you were investing in residential property, you know, properties in Wales, northwest of England, Cumbria versus you know south coast, south southeast, they're completely different property markets. So it is really important to understand what your fund manager's doing, or if you're doing your own research, to understand the basket of properties that you get exposure to, whether you're buying an open-ended or, as we'd suggest, a, a closed-ended fund. And obviously there's been a lot of bad news generally around this year, but bad news doesn't always mean that stocks fall in price. So Dan's been looking at this this week. So general investing wisdom is 
bad news comes out about a company, share price falls. Good news comes out, share price rises. But that's not actually true, is it? No, I think this is to, and to the frustration of many investors, particularly people who are quite new to um, trying to understand how the markets work. They quite often see a company report, say, £100 million profit um, and its shares fall. And they go, I just, I just don't understand. You know, this company's clearly making shed loads of money. Why isn't it? Why I want to see the share price rise. And then you get a company um, that does the opposite, saying, so, you know, it's lost a bit of money and then its share prices rise. You think, I just don't, it's, it's just bonkers. Uh, the important thing to consider is the stock market is all about pricing and expectation. Um, and when someone issues some financial results, these are historic bits of information. The thing you need to look at is the outlook statement and also what, were, what was the market expecting um, and compare that against what was delivered. So essentially, you need to look at analyst forecasts. So for the free average member of the public, um, you to find this information, you need to look at specialist financial websites or something like Reuters or Bloomberg um, tend to publish these. Or some companies will actually give you this information on their website. Um, so we had a really good example this week, which was the Boohoo, which we've just been talking about, so the, the online retailer, it reported huge sales growth. Profit margins are actually up, which is quite rare when we've got loads of retailers reporting um, you know, pretty gloomy figures. Um, and the shares fell 9%. Um, and actually, what, what happened was that its core Boohoo brand, the growth was not as much as everyone expected. Um, and it owns Pretty Little Things, another brand. And actually, that was better than expected. But uh, the market just latched on to one thing saying, you know, this company is meant to be brilliant. It's meant to be fast growth all the time. But I'm sorry, the growth is not as fast as we expected. Therefore, we'll mark the share price down. Um, and I and I saw on social media loads of people going, "I just don't understand." <laughs> uh, you know, and I feel I feel for their frustration. Um, but it, it kind of it shows with investing, you do have to do um, simply more than saying, "I recognise the brand, and therefore I'll buy the shares." Um, there is a bit more legwork to go into it. Yeah, and, and reading around the subject, then you know, so Boohoo had originally fallen just before Christmas on the ASOS profit warning, so it was pulled down and bounced up nicely uh, as people realised, okay, maybe it's not on the same market and it's doing much better than, than ASOS, but you know it. Once they actually received the news of here's exactly where we are, I think just a bunch of people said, oh, okay, well, I've, I've had nice profits in the past couple of weeks. I'll take a bit of profit there. It's not the most liquid share in the world, and but 9% was, you know, was some reaction. I think in a, a, a way to maybe explain it to you know, a, a new investor is you take a look at the league table. You know, so let's go to the Premier League. Right now, as we speak, Arsenal and Man United have got exactly the same points on the board. And yet, the Arsenal manager is hailed as having a great season. Man United sacked their manager for having a really bad season. So it's how, not just how you're doing it, how you're doing against what you're, you were expected to do before the news came out. That yeah. was a football analogy even I understood. Yes. <laughs> it was great work. <laughs> but does that mean that there can be a buying opportunity? So in that Boohoo example where it fell, if you're, obviously we talk a lot about long-term trading and, and not short-term trading it, but if you've been keeping an eye on that stock and you, you're looking for a good price to get in, is that the kind of time when you could look to buy? I think well, you need to look at, you know, any share need to look at well, in the context of what, what was the... Um, why was the market disappointed? And is that point to a problem with the company or um, you know, is it just a one-off blip? So I think investors sort of need to weigh um, what's going on. Uh, perhaps a good example is um, Just Eat. So the, the, uh, they help restaurants to um, facilitate online ordering. Um, so 
they were doing fantastically for years, and there's other competitors like Deliveroo and Uber Eats um, coming along. But the one thing that Just Eat lacked was the actual ability to physically deliver food. They didn't have any bikes. They didn't employ anyone to deliver people. Um, they merely provided all the technology to facilitate the orders. Um, but their rivals did have a delivery thing. So they came out um, a while ago and said, look, we're going to invest £50 million to improve our business and to create this network of delivery people okay so on paper you think all right that's that's good that's a strategic strategic decision mm -hmm. for long term and should help you um to sort of not, to, to stay on a level peg with your competitors um but you know laura have a guess what do you think happened to the share price when it made this seemingly sensible announcement i'm gonna guess it fell it absolutely fell it tanked because the market's going what you know hang on a minute you're spending loads of money um therefore your earnings forecast will have to be downgraded because all the profits we thought you're going to have you're going to have to put some of them back in back into the business um it unfortunately shows how short-term mm. investors are with their thinking um, so really, they should. You know, ASOS has had this as well. It said, "Oh, you know, we're doing so well. We're going to need another warehouse or something, or, or improve what we've got." Um, you know, companies should reinvest money back into their business to keep them strong and keep them competitive. But we are in a certain market environment where people just don't think that way. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are opportunities for, say, fund managers who take a very long-term view would perhaps have a different uh, approach to, uh, say, an average person who just wants to make a quick buck on their shares. Um, so you, 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 that's why you sometimes you see a share price fall and then slowly creep back upwards because you know someone else is buying in and seeing the, the opportunity. But that isn't always the case. Sometimes shares can fall for good reason mm -hmm. and they can keep falling. And we've talked about examples where kind of good news causes a share price to fall. Are there examples where bad news causes a share price to rise? I know we've spoken previously on podcast about um, Next examples was a where... Good example. Next had a good example over Christmas. So Next trading update uh, after Christmas wasn't particularly strong, but it wasn't as bad as people had expected. Shares rallied, I think, about 7-8% on the, on the day. Yeah, I think that was, you know, any retailer who didn't deliver a profit warning was deemed to be a saviour um, <laughs> over this festive period for, for a while. And then the sort of market caught on and thought, actually, you know, perhaps retail's not as bad as you think. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a company called Mighty, which is um, best known for cleaning lots of offices. Very, very glamorous business. Um, that used to, used to report, you know, good tens, you know, significant profit each year. And it came out with its results and it made a massive loss and the shares rose. And you, you're thinking, what? You know, why would a company that suddenly become loss-making um, be deemed to be uh, worth an you know, increased value? And what it was was that the company's coming out with a plan how to fix its problems. They call it the kitchen sinking, where they, you know, they list this thing saying, here's all things have gone wrong. We'll write down all the values of these. This is what we'll do. Mm -hmm. Making a clear plan. And the market's like, okay, so we were, we were worried about you. Now, we're kind of putting faith in you, faith in the management that you can fix this company. Um, and that's why it goes up. So yeah, it, it, is, it does get a bit confusing, doesn't it? So dark, yeah. And it's darkest all... before the dawn. Yeah. Mm, how weird the markets are. I mean, just, just a, one final quick question for you, Kev. Um, so in, in your sort of background and in your career, you obviously must have had access to lots of um, sort of quite complicated tools that give you... Um, information like earnings forecasts and stuff and I guess if you're a fund manager you, you have access to masses of information so you do get a feel for uh, trying to read what what could be coming up but for retail investors it, it's much harder isn't it do you, do you think it, that they're totally at a disadvantage to or, or actually could they just need a bit of legwork to find this information themselves um 
are you at a disadvantage? That's a great question. Are you at a disadvantage? I would argue if you know what you're doing, absolutely you're not at a disadvantage at all. I think some of the disciplines that retail investors could get into the habit of, and it would really, really help is, every morning, first thing I do, every single morning at seven o'clock, you go on the London Stock Exchange website, and you click on their RNS regulatory news service. It's free to absolutely everyone, and you can see every single trading update that comes out that morning. Have a scroll through some of them, you'll find areas that, that are of interest to you, and just actually read what companies are saying conditions are like at the moment and as you said before Dan what the outlook statement looks like as well and eventually if you do that often enough with enough you know variation in the companies that you read you start to build up a bit of a mosaic of what actually happened in the world and the better your pictures of what's going on in the world and what the future looks like the better your decision making will be in it going forward as well. And I think w with that, there's perhaps a um, quite a little good thing that people could get into the habit of. So seven o'clock, read all the announcements from the different companies. And perhaps you might want to sort of look at them, say, say, say four or five and think, oh, what do I think the share price would do when the market opens at mm -hmm. eight o'clock? And you could write them down. And then when the market does open, you can compare it and say, yep. you know, I was right in my thinking or, OK, I got it wrong. But, you know, this is try to understand then what why you were you were mm. wrong and then w what was actually driving the market's thinking and, and the only problem with that is that's a very busy hour um in, in my former employment i used to try and lobby um the stock exchange to release the earnings statements the night before as they do in the us which gives you time as an analyst then to actually read prepare think about the questions you're likely to ask management when you when you next see them as opposed to this mad dash hour of trying to you know, pick out little tidbits of information so that you're ready to actually trade at eight o'clock. Okay. Well, excellent. That covered a lot this week, but thanks a lot for listening. And as ever, you can send any thoughts or ideas you have to podcast at ajbell.co.uk and we will see you next week, hopefully with slightly less Brexit chat. Thanks. Thanks very much. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. The podcast talks about various money issues. Just don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. You should also recognise that how an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future and that tax rules apply.